Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we are under the, not under the law, but under grace? God forbid." Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, as servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have now obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin and because and became the servants of righteousness. And so the three points that we've been looking at, first we need to understand the reality of our freedom. We are truly freed from sin. And that's what we examined last week and review quickly this week. Secondly, we need to reckon our freedom. That good old southern term of reckoning. And then our last point will be the resolve of our freedom. And we'll see that in verses 13 through 18. So let us look to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, I pray as we examine this passage again, Lord, you would teach us And may we truly recognize the fact that we can have victory over sin. That we can live a victorious Christian life because we are freed from sin. So Lord, help us to live accordingly. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to apologize for taking more than one week on this because I told you several years ago, Dr. Childs came and did a Bible conference for us, and I can't remember if it was a three-day or four-day. It was a week, a whole week. So he took five nights preaching this passage. So if it takes more than one week, I'm not going to apologize for it, okay? Because this is such an important passage, and his whole series was on the victorious Christian life. So often Christians say, I can't help it. I can't help sinning. That is a lie. It is a choice once we are saved because we are freed from sin. We are truly free indeed in Christ. We're not to continue in sin. Remember the word continue has the idea to remain, to dwell, to feel comfortable there, to feel at home there. You know, I often think of the word continue and the Greek Greek word that this comes from as the idea of sitting at home, putting my feet up because it's my home, I'm comfortable there right? 
Now, when I go to your home, I'm not going to sit there and put my feet up as I would in my home, right? Kick my shoes off, put my feet up. But we are truly dead to sin. Galatians 4, 9. But now, after ye have known God, or rather have known our God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? I've been freed from sin. Why do I want to go back to the bondage of sin? Then Paul gives two illustrations here, one of baptism and the other of planting. And then we looked at how we are freed from the penalty of sin. We're freed from the power of sin, and someday we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. And so that was a quick review of the reality of our freedom. But Christian, it's important we understand that reality, because in verse 11, talks about the reckoning of our freedom. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we hear the word reckon a lot around here. Ah, reckon. But it's a good word, and it's a good biblical word. It has, it's an accounting word. It has the idea of to count it to be so, to take it into account, to credit, to place, to consider, to think it, suppose it, evaluate, look upon as, and claim it, to think on it, to reflect upon. And this, by the way, is also a command in the Scripture. So reckon it to be so. Paul's saying, okay, Christian, you are indeed dead to sin. So stop living like a lost person. Reckon it in your mind that you are indeed dead to sin. It goes what we were talking about Wednesday when we were talking about putting off the old, renewing our mind, and putting on the new. Well, the reckoning it so is the renewing of our mind part. Instead of making excuses, I couldn't help myself, I'm trying, let's realize I am dead and it should be Christ living in me. So if I'm living in the power of the Holy Spirit, then should I not have victory over sin? So when do I sin? When I choose to let the flesh take over, and I give in to the flesh. It wasn't a oops, it was a choice. And some Christians say, wait a minute, preacher, that seems awfully harsh. That's the reality of our freedom in Christ. And I've got to recognize, you know, yes, before I was saved, my default was sin, right? I naturally did that because I'm a sinner. And I understand I still have that sin nature, but I got to reckon that sin nature dead. It's dead. So a dead man has no desires. When I still have those fleshly desires, guess what? I'm allowing the flesh to be resurrected, if you will, to get back on the throne of life that Christ rightfully belongs on. And I've got to die to self. Now, I do carry around this body of death, Paul calls it in another passage. So you want to hear something really disgusting? That comes from a Roman torturer of, if you had killed somebody, one of the tortures they might do is take the body and strap it to you in such a way that you could not get it off of you. And so Paul is saying, and so as that body would rot, guess what it did to your body? It caused you to, to rot and die. It was a very slow, painful death. Now, Paul says that this old flesh that we carry around is as a body of death. It's a dead body we're carrying around. I am thankful, as we talked about last week, when we're going to be freed from the presence of sin at the rapture, that we're going to be freed from this body of sin, aren't you? That we're going to put off the flesh. We're going to put on the immortal. That's exciting, isn't it? 
It hasn't happened yet. And so we've got to carry it around as dead, though, and not let it come back to life, if you will. Not let it take control of our lives. We've got to reckon ourselves dead. You say, okay, you got your point across. But yet, how often do we react in the flesh and not in the spirit? John Phillips has a great illustration here, and since I already discussed it you once, we'll go ahead and do it again, and I'm sorry, I guess it's the Corman coming out of me. But John Phillips in his Exploring Romans uh, gives this illustration. He says, How slow we are to believe this great basic fact which opens for us the door to victorious Christian living. The story is told of two Irishmen, Pat and Mike, who found a most unusual turtle. The animal's head had been completely severed from its body, but the turtle was still running around as though nothing had happened. Pat maintained that it was dead, but Mike denied it stoutly and argued, meant waxed louder and louder until presently along came O'Brien. They decided that O'Brien should arbitrate the matter and that his verdict would be final. O'Brien took one look at the remarkable turtle and said, it's dead, but they don't believe it. That's exactly the problem many Christians. They are dead, but they don't believe it. This is a tragedy, for it is a truth that this verse, fully and unreservedly believed, breaks sin stranglehold on the life once it is believed. It'll break the stranglehold of sin on your life once you believe it. You've got to reckon it so. You've got to believe, I am dead. I am dead. You want victory over those sins, that are those besetting sins. You want victory over the habits of life that still seem to creep up You've got to reckon yourself dead. I am dead to sin. I don't have to serve sin. I am free in Christ. And now it is Christ living in me. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ living in me. We all know that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, right? Do we live as though he gives the power and the victory over sin? He can and will, when I yield to him, allow him to have control of my life, and I die to self. But the problem is, is many times we want to submit All these areas of our life to God say, I'm willing to submit these, but I have this little area over here. I want to keep this one. And this area that's not submitted, he doesn't have control of. I've got to be willing to submit all of life to him and die to self, realize I am dead to sin. I no longer have to serve sin. I no longer have to keep those habits. I no longer have to have those besetting sins. Now, it doesn't mean that I can be arrogant about it. Ha ha! I've gained the victory and I will never fall in sin again because right there you just showed that you're prideful, which is sin. But as humbly walking with God, as a matter of fact, the closer you get to God, the more your sin you should see. The more sinful an individual you should see yourself. When we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, not comparing ourselves to others. And Paul condemns that in Corinthians when he says to them that we're not to be comparing ourselves among ourselves. He calls it foolishness. Because I can look around and say, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, is that not prideful? So be controlled by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be 
filled with the Spirit. The word filled has the idea of being controlled by the Spirit of God. So verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and the lust thereof. Do not allow sin to have the throne of your life. Don't allow it to reign. Die to self. Paul says, I die daily. I know in my life there's sometimes it has to be more than daily. Because that old man wants to get off the cross and get back on the throne of my heart, doesn't he? But where does he belong? He's dead. He's dead. Christ sits on the throne. Reckon it to be so. Why? Because it is so. So then, understand the reality. I am dead to sin, alive in Christ. I'm freed from sin. I'm no longer the slave of sin. The bonds of sin have been broken. Why, Christian, as Paul asked the Galatians, why then do you want to go back to those beggarly and weak elements? Why do you want to go back to it? Why? Now, here's what unfortunately happens. Many times, one who is recently saved, especially if they've not been taught doctrine, has not been discipled, doesn't understand that they are freed from sin because this passage has never been explained to them. And so they feel that when they're tempted, they have to give in still. And how many times do young Christians we see, unfortunately, turn back to what they were saved out of? Galatians 6.1, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but we which are spiritual, what are we supposed to do? Restore such a one. Too often, people want to give up on, on young Christians. Well, you know what? They made a mistake. And see, I, I doubt they're even really saved. Really? Let me ask a question. When you were saved, I understand God changed a lot of things right away. And praise Him for that. But did everything change immediately, or did some things maybe take a little while? Or, should I put it this way, how many things is God still working in your heart today? I hope that He still is. Because none in this room are perfect, Right? We haven't gotten there yet. I talked to one young lady once who thought you could reach sinless perfection. And in her mind, she had achieved this. And I said, oh, so you believe in sinless perfection? I said, yes. And I said, and it appears from what you're saying that you believe that you've achieved it. She goes, well, I can't say that because it would be prideful. I said, ma'am, that would not be prideful. It would be a statement of fact if it's true. And she goes, no, 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 if I said it would be prideful, I said it would only be prideful if you weren't, really didn't believe it. I said, if it's true and you say I have reached sinless perfection, then it's just a statement of fact. And she started getting mad at me and got very angry. And I just, I'm sorry, I had to chuckle because point proven, right? So we have the reality of our freedom. We're dead to sin. We're freed from sin. We need to reckon it so, and now, so that equates to the put off the old, renew your mind, and now you're going to put on the new, right? And we see this in verses 13 through 18, and I call it the resolve of our freedom. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Be fully yielded to Christ, yielding your body. God commands us not to allow sin to reign, not to have kingly power over us. 
because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, many in this world think that they control their own body. My body, my choice. Isn't that what they say? The problem is they apply it to something that's not their body. Because a little one inside is not your body. It's something different. Someone different. But yet when I tried applying the same thing, when they're demanding I put a mask on my face and said, my body, my choice, all of a sudden I don't love people. And it was my body, by the way. But it's applied in so many other ways. My body, my choice. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me that, you know, whatever it is. Whether it be drinking, smoking, running around half naked, all these things people say, it's my body, my choice. You can't tell me what to do. Well, Christian, my body is not my own. It's bought with a price. It belongs to God, and I need to yield my members as instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians, For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So I need to yield my instruments as instruments of righteousness. Now, that means then, if my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, that I need to take care of this body, right? And I know some of you look and say, well, preacher, you don't even skip the meal. I understand. So here's my excuse. You can look at all my family tree. We're all big people. I really try. We even went for a walk last night. And I tried eating really healthy yesterday. And I get on the scales this morning and it still says, you're fat. But we have a responsibility to take care of our body then I have to understand my body belongs to God, right? Okay, so God has given standards of modesty, so I'm to cover my body accordingly to what God has said modesty involves. It's interesting, I got a call last night, actually a text. I just crawled into bed, it was shortly after 10 o'clock. I got a text from somebody who used to go here faithfully and said, I have a question, it'll take five minutes. So 11.30, I got back in bed. But it was about Romans 14, the verse, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so he, he was having a hard time understanding how that applies. And anyhow, in the conversation, I said, we need to take and understand what God's principles are, God's standards are. I said, now, first of all, this does not go against anything that is a direct command. If God said, thou shalt or thou shalt not, we're not talking about those areas. I said, but in the context, Paul talks about eating of meats offered to idols. And he talks about holidays. I told you before, I knew a man who would not celebrate Christmas because it's never mentioned in the Bible. The same man would celebrate Easter, even though the reference in the Bible is not to the Easter that we celebrate. But it's mentioned, so he would celebrate it. Okay, while I thought it was different and odd... It was what he believed, and he could not celebrate Christmas by faith. I can. So it would be a sin for him and not for me. Anyhow, the reason why I got on that rabbit trail, and I'm way down it now, was the issue of modesty came up too, and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. By the way, I reminded him, I said, when it comes to modesty, way too often I hear 
so much against women's immodesty, but I hear very little about men's immodesty. I said, you don't do realize it's two-way street. He goes, well, yes, but men are typically more visually stimulated. I said, I agree. I said, so does that give me a right to be immodest? No. But we need to understand we are bought with a price. So I need to yield my members. Then verse 13, I need to yield my soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions. So verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments. Now again, it speaks about our members, but how do I choose how I'm going to yield them? Well, that's in my mind, right? My mind, I make a conscious choice what I'm going to do with my members. So it looks like action in the body, and it is, but the decision was made in the soul and the mind, Right? how I'm going to yield myself. Am I going to yield myself as an instrument of sin or am I going to yield myself as an instrument of righteousness? Instruments have the idea of tools or weapons. So we choose the yielding of our members. So I choose what my eyes see. Now, if I'm driving down the road and I understand half the billboards aren't worth looking at, so keep your eyes on the road, Right? If I see a glance at a billboard that's inappropriate and I move my eyes off of it, have I sinned? No. But if I sit there and I stare at it and I give second thought and I allow lustful thoughts to cross my mind, have I sinned? Yes. We live in a society that it is too easy to find things our eyes should not be looking on. Especially pornography. It is rampant in our society, and unfortunately, even in our churches. I would be interested in talking to older preachers about how much counseling they used to do on pornography versus how much has to be done now. How many men struggle, yes, even in our churches, with pornography? But we need to understand, as Job said, I will make a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? We need to determine how we're going to yield our ears when somebody's going to tell a dirty joke or use the Lord's name in vain or there's going to be filthy music around. Now, I understand sometimes in the workplace, you can't control what everybody else is doing. I get that. Been there. How do we handle it? There are several ways in which we can handle it. Number one, you could ignore it, but is that appropriate? Number two, we could be the Pharisee who... Don't you dare do that, you know. Or we could kindly let them know that when you use the name of the Lord in vain, it really highly offends me, and I would greatly appreciate if you could try to be careful with that. And if they do it again, don't jump on all of them. Because again, they're a lost person acting like a lost person. I told you all the story of, we had a manager when I was working at Walmart, the store manager in one of our meetings used the Lord's name in vain, and he claimed to be a Christian. So I went to him afterward and said, Johnny, I said, may I talk to you? And I pulled him aside privately, and I said, Johnny, I said, it's extremely important that we who wear the name of Christ follow what Christ has told us. And I said, and his holy name is to be revered. I said, and he looked at me, I said, and, and I said, you know, basically I told, I had to tell him that he had used the name of the Lord in vain, and he didn't even realize it. You do understand people at different points of their Christian growth 
and sometimes need to be pointed out what's going on, right? And he said, Jim, I didn't even realize it. But thank you for your courage coming to me. And the next day when I got to work, there was a thank you card from Johnny saying, I really appreciate you coming and telling me that. And to the best of my knowledge, I never heard it from his mouth again. Now, I'm not saying that to my credit, folks, but that's how, you, how we should handle these situations. Gently, calmly. Don't call them out in front of everybody and embarrass them. Pull them aside. Especially if they say that they're a brother or sister in Christ. What about our mouth? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Ephesians 4.29 My hands, my feet. And then verse 14. Yielding my spirit. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The spirit is the control center, the part that was dead, but now made alive, alive in Christ. So who is your master? Well, if, if we're dead to sin, we're dead to the flesh, then I need to have Christ on the throne of my life. You see, many think I'm going to yield my body, I'm going to yield my soul, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit to have control. Who's at the helm, if you will? Who's in control? Because what's the difference between a Christian trying to do the right thing in the flesh versus a lost person trying to do the right thing in the flesh? See, what you and I need to realize, Christian, is I'm dead. I can't. God can. And I yield to him. Dr. Childs used to always illustrate it this way. And I can't think of a better illustration. But he says, Christian, you and I must choose than to recognize the reality of our death to sin. We're alive in Christ. Therefore, I'm going to yield to him. And so what that means is whatever God places in my life, I understand is his perfect, good, acceptable will. Whatever he takes out of my life is still part of his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And so no matter what comes... I'm not going to be swayed. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be fearful because I know God is in control. Now, here's how we tend to live. Okay, God, it's all yours. And so God starts placing things in our hand and we receive them. And then he reaches in to take something out of our hand and we say, oh, not that. What have I done at that moment? I took control again. And the moment I took control again, he relinquishes it, and now I'm yielding myself to sin, not to God. I'm yielding myself to unrighteousness, not righteousness. Because at that moment, what I said, your will is not good, it's not perfect, it's not right. Mine is better. Do you understand that's what we're telling a holy God every time we take control? Your will is not good enough for me. I want you to think of that. So therefore, we must continue to live with open hands. Easy concept. But the flesh sometimes wants to rear its ugly head. That's why we've got to die to self daily, reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to have control. Otherwise, it cannot, cannot be a reality. But let me tell you something. It can be a reality. And it's wonderful when we live that victorious Christian life, continuing to yield to Him. And you know, as we continue to yield to him, 
Maybe sometime there comes a point when we start to want to grab it back and then we have to realize I've sinned against God. I need to confess it, get it right with him and yield again and keep going and keep going. Because let me tell you something, Satan would love nothing more than to defeat you and discourage you, but a righteous man falleth seven times. Does he lay there flat after the seventh time and say, you know what, I'm done? No, he gets up again and again and again. But Christian, there should be more and more victory in our life and less and less yielding to sin. You see, we think of the Christian growth as this nice little curve you know, once we're saved, that we just kind of keep growing, 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 right? Do you realize that's not reality? You see, we grow, and then unfortunately we backslide. But then we grow, and then there'll be a time when we take our eyes off of Christ. And then we grow, but you see what's happening? My growth keeps going up, should keep going up more than the valleys. And the valleys should become less frequent and less deep as I continue to grow closer to him. But the reality of it is, if we examine our own lives, none of us have had a steady growth. And I state this because then why do we expect it in others? Oh, because we're comparing ourselves among ourselves instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. And when I compare myself to him, I find, you know what? I still fall woefully short, right? So we need to make the choice to yield to God and be used for righteousness. Verses 16 through 18. Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death, because that's where sin leads, or of obedience unto righteousness. I've never met anybody on their deathbed who gave their life to God who said, I regret it. I wish I had not done so. But I have met many people who are older who have said, I have wasted many years living for self. Verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. There again, learning the word of God, learning proper doctrine, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You were the servants of sin, but you've been freed from sin, reckon it to be so, and now yield yourselves to God and be a servant of righteousness. So we make the choice. Who are we serving? Are we serving self? Are we serving Satan? Or are we serving the Savior? We need to yield to the Master and live righteously. Do not continue in sin. Do not continue in sin. Don't remain there. You should not feel comfortable there. You should not feel at home in sin anymore, Christian, because you have been freed from sin, so reckon it to be so and yield yourselves as instruments to God. Let us bow for a word of prayer.